Hey folks, you guys know I'm always diving into the dark corners of history, unearthing the stories that are sure to chill. Mastering the art of storytelling and research isn't just a passion, it's a craft. That's why I turned to Masterclass. Whether I'm analyzing historical documents or piecing together ghostly tales, Masterclass has been an invaluable resource in honing my skills. Masterclass lets you learn from over 200 of the world's best minds right at your fingertips. And the best part is it's all available for just $10 a month with an annual membership. I've been particularly captivated by the class on investigative journalism taught by Pulitzer Prize winner Bob Woodward. His insights into uncovering the truth may have transformed the way I approach each episode here. What's incredible is that 88% of members feel that Masterclass has made a positive impact on their lives. And trust me, I'm one of them. The depth of knowledge and practical tips I've gained have boosted my confidence and enriched the content that I bring to you every week. As a listener of Haunted American History, you get an exclusive 15% off an annual membership. Just visit masterclass.com haunted. That's masterclass.com haunted to save 15% on limitless learning. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So what are you going to lose? Don't wait. Join me and start transforming your passions into expertise by visiting masterclass.com haunted. I'll see you there. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In the United States National Park System, there are more than 84 million acres of preserved woods, deserts, mountains, and other wilderness. So it's no surprise that in the past hundred years, there have been a number of cases of hikers going missing. Many of those who vanished were young children or inexperienced hikers but some were healthy and seasoned outdoors people. But are there more to these disappearances than just kids wandering off or hikers becoming disoriented? What would cause someone to seemingly vanish into thin air? Today we're going to meet a Mr. Jared Cole, a security guard, whose search for a missing family uncovers something he would never have dreamt possible. I'd like for you to accompany me on a journey through imagination. A place that lies just between shadow and light, where the truth is sometimes stranger than the fiction. I'm Christopher Feinstein, and this is Haunted American History. Now, there are two approaches people take to explaining these mysterious disappearances, earthly or supernatural. The majority of hiking experts would say that these missing hikers just probably made a mistake. You know, bit off a little more than they can chew or failing to turn back in time to beat out the sunset. However, some disappearances have become a focus of urban legend. Online message boards and books are rampant with stories of disappearances at national parks. David Paulides, who's a former Yosemite National Park police officer and author of the book Missing 411, thinks something more intriguing is afoot. 
His book examines more than 1,100 cases of people who mysteriously vanished in the United States National Parks. Now, the National Park Service doesn't collect data on how many visitors disappear. Indeed, most people do turn up on their own a few days later. In 2020 alone, Paul Dees estimated that there have been over 1,600 unexplained disappearances in North America. Bessie and Glenn Hyde were honeymooning in northern Arizona at the Grand Canyon when they vanished. They were traveling down the Colorado River in October of 1928 and planned to boat through the Grand Canyon. Bessie was aiming to be the first woman to ever successfully do so. Glenn had run through rivers before, but Bessie was a boating newbie. The couple ran across other boaters a few weeks before their disappearance, who said they got the feeling that Bessie wanted to turn back, but Glenn was pushing her on. If they completed the trip successfully, they would go on a paid lecture tour. So this trip wasn't just for fun. There was money at stake. Cut to several months later. The Hyde's boat was discovered that winter, seemingly undisturbed. It was upright and full of their supplies, but the couple was gone. Now, there are many theories about what happened to the Hyde's. Did they disembark and try a difficult hike? Did they have an argument that turned violent? Or were they abducted? There are conflicting reports about what happened to the Hyde's, and more than one Bessie sighting in the years that followed. Or how about this one from 1946? Eight-year-old Catherine Van Alst disappeared from Devil's Den State Park near Arkansas's Ozark National Forest, where she and her family were camping. Van Alst apparently was playing with her brothers when she wandered off and got lost. Now, what makes her disappearance remarkable is that when she was found six days later, she was eerily calm. University of Arkansas student Porter Chadwick was part of the search party when they found Catherine. He told the Pittsburgh Press that when he found her, she just walked stoically out of a cave and just said, Here I am. According to Peninsula Daily News, Olympic National Park in northern Washington state has a feature that's not as majestic as its mountain views. At least four hikers have mysteriously disappeared from the area in the last 25 years. One of whom was 73-year-old John Devine, who planned to hike into the park from Mount Baldy. Now that trail is roughly 24 miles. And though Devine was elderly, he was a very experienced long-distance hiker. Devine was camping in the woods with his friend Greg. They split up on the day that Devine went missing. Greg went off to hunt while Devine took off the day to hike. Devine never returned. The fruitless search for Devine lasted a full week until a rescue helicopter crash killed three people and injured five others. By that time, weather conditions had deteriorated, making the chances of finding Devine slim. Friends and family said that Devine wouldn't want to put people in danger on his behalf, and the search was called off. Guys, if I'm missing, keep searching. The helicopter's crash, though, is just as mysterious as Devine's disappearance. Before takeoff, the pilot used a hand signal, indicating that he was going to wait five minutes for conditions to improve before attempting. A moment later, the helicopter quickly departed vertically without warning and crashed into the side of a mountain. At 8 a.m. on a July day in 2004, David Gonzalez asked his mother if he can have the car keys. There was a box of cookies in the car, and the nine-year-old wanted a treat. The car was only around 50 yards away, and his mother watched him as he walked to the parking lot near their Big Bear Lake campsite in Northern California's San Bernardino National Forest. She turned her back for a second, and when she looked again, David was gone. His mother reported that she heard no sound at all when her back was turned, though she did see a beige truck speeding out of the campground around the time her son went missing. There were no signs of abduction, so authorities did not pursue that lead. The cookies that David went to get were still in his family's locked van, 
so he never made it to the car. Rescue teams in San Bernardino County scoured the woods for Gonzalez. They found no sign of struggle or of the boy. The search went on for nine days, but rescuers never found him alive. Almost a year later, hikers stumbled upon the boy's remains about a mile from his family's campsite. Authorities initially choked it up to a mountain lion attack. But how could a mountain lion have silently dragged a nine-year-old boy a mile without leaving any blood or signs of struggle? The autopsy determined that any marks made to the child were done post-mortem by scavenging animals. The national parks of the United States were established partly to preserve the plants, animals, and ecology of certain regions. So it certainly makes sense that humans stepping into these untamed areas should be careful. Bears, mountain lions, buffalo, and other dangerous animals call these national parks home. And they've been known to attack people. However... There are some people out there who speculate that paranormal creatures, such as Bigfoot, could be involved. Believers often claim the missing people could have been used as a food source for these creatures, and that's why so few of them are ever found. And if a missing person does show up deceased, the strange circumstances they're found in generate more questions than answers. On occasion, people have been found unbelievable distances from where they went missing. In 1979, a student by the name of Stephen Kubaki went missing for 15 months after going skiing in a national park. At the scene of the disappearance, investigators followed his footprints until they mysteriously just stopped. 15 months later, he woke up in a field 700 miles away from where he went missing, and only 40 miles away from his father's house. When he arrived at his father's doorstep and knocked on the door, Kubaki was wearing clothes that weren't his, and he had a satchel that didn't belong to him. He claimed to remember nothing that happened, but said that he didn't suffer from any psychological problems, and he never ended up seeking help. He actually eventually got his PhD in clinical psychology, believe it or not. In the rare event that a missing person is found deceased, the autopsy often doesn't communicate very conclusive information. In fact, most of the reported autopsies come back inconclusive, and pathologists aren't able to determine the cause of death. Now, it is possible that a person could wander a great distance after becoming lost. There are still some circumstances that are more complicated. A toddler once went missing and turned up 12 miles from where he vanished. Between those 12 miles were two mountain ranges and several creeks. Much too far for a toddler to venture on his own, don't you think? There are several clusters, Paulides in his book, found in common with some of these disappearances. Some like people disappearing around bodies of water. Those are easily explained. As the number one cause of death in national parks over the past decade has been drowning, but the other ones make less sense. One such cluster appears when looking at the amount of people who have gone missing near berry bushes. People disappear and are found in the middle of berry bushes, Paulides claims. They go missing while picking berries, and some are found while eating berries. The connection between some disappearances and berries cannot be denied. In one case, he writes about an anonymous three-year-old boy who went missing in a national park near Mount Shasta in California and was found five hours later in a thicket of trees. He described being taken into a cave by a woman he thought was his grandmother. The boy said he eventually figured out that she wasn't his grandmother, even though she was very kind to him. The boy concluded that she was a robot, because there was some unusual light coming from her head. When he later recounted the story for his grandmother, she said she would have brushed it off if it weren't for an experience she had while camping a year prior. She claims to have woken up outside her tent with a strange puncture wound in her head. 
One man came across a trail area that had strange broken branches eight feet or higher off the ground. He decided to hike it, looking for signs of Sasquatch. As he hiked the trail, he was unable to shake the feeling that somebody was watching him. When he turned around, he saw a woman walking towards him. But he noticed that she was somehow moving towards him quicker than her stride should have been taking her. They stared at each other, and he noticed that she had no distinguishable features or clothing. He turned back and kept walking quickly, and when he looked back again, she was gone. Under strange conditions, people can do strange things. When people experience something scary or even unexplainable, their mind can fill the blanks in weird ways, or even block out the trauma completely. That's a theory, anyway. To me, too many places have too many things in common for it to all to be chalked up to, eh, people are people. Somebody out there knows what's going on in the national parks around the country. I just doubt they'll ever share. Hey there, folks. I like jumping in in the middle here. Kind of gives a nice little break to the recording process and uh, gives me an opportunity just to say thank you to everybody. I still get so many reviews and emails from you guys and I really, you know, I love it. So keep those things coming. I also like to use this opportunity to signal the ad break that's coming. And to remind everyone that you can hear my episodes um, ad-free on my Patreon. This week I started with uh, Chapter 1 of H.G. Uh, Wells' War of the Worlds. Uploaded that. That was pretty cool. I also was hanging out in my Discord during it. So anyone who wanted to pop by, peek in on the recording process and just chat, I was in there hanging out. It was fun. Good times had by all. So if you're interested, sign up and join us in the good times. Link is in the show description. Hey folks, you guys know I'm always diving into the dark corners of history, unearthing the stories that are sure to chill. Mastering the art of storytelling and research isn't just a passion, it's a craft. That's why I turned to Masterclass. Whether I'm analyzing historical documents or piecing together ghostly tales, Masterclass has been an invaluable resource in honing my skills. Masterclass lets you learn from over 200 of the world's best minds right at your fingertips. And the best part is it's all available for just $10 a month with an annual membership. I've been particularly captivated by the class on investigative journalism taught by Pulitzer Prize winner Bob Woodward. His insights into uncovering the truth may have transformed the way I approach each episode here. What's incredible is that 88% of members feel that Masterclass has made a positive impact on their lives. And trust me, I'm one of them. The depth of knowledge and practical tips I've gained have boosted my confidence and enriched the content that I bring to you every week. As a listener of Haunted American History, you get an exclusive 15% off an annual membership. Just visit masterclass.com slash haunted. That's masterclass.com slash haunted to save 15% on limitless learning. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So what are you going to lose? Don't wait. Join me and start transforming your passions into expertise by visiting masterclass.com slash haunted. I'll see you there. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.
Throughout the entire month of September this year, Wayne County, Utah transforms into a veritable wonderland of late summer merriment. Capitol Reef National Park is hosting the nation's largest traveling carnival. Now, carnival may be the wrong word to use. Carnivals, when you think of them, are mostly small, but this, this was anything but. Grant & Sons was the largest traveling amusement park in the world. They traveled the United States year-round, and every month, they would stop and set up shop at a different national park. They had to deal with the government to boost tourism and local economies. It was good for everyone. These guys were no joke. Back in the 70s, they were actually sued by Disney for having a ride that's extremely similar to their It's a Small World. And they actually won. It was stated that the ride was different enough to have the lawsuit thrown out, but people theorized that it was because of their dealings with the government that they got a pass. It was a boat ride through different areas around the United States, instead of the world. It was full of the same little dolls and the same incessantly annoying earworm song that just replaced the word world with country. I'll spare you a rendition of it. You're welcome. It was amazing how this place operated. Their attractions rivaled some of the bigger amusement parks around the country. But these guys packed up and headed out of town at the end of their stay. The caravan rolling in and out of town was part of the spectacle. It was immense. The trucks and vans stretched on for miles when they were rolling. Jared Cole was a 28-year-old drifter, an orphan from the age of 14 when his father, a decorated detective from New Orleans, was killed in the line of duty. His mother died from complications during childbirth. As a ward of the state, he was in and out of trouble during his teenage years. Coping with loss and rebelling, it took him a little longer than most to get his act together. At 18, he struck out on his own, dreaming of one day following in his dad's footsteps. He loved investigating and problem-solving. His dad used to give him these scenarios, and he would have to think his way out of them. He loved that game. Unfortunately, with no steady foundation, he found himself taking any job he can get anywhere he can find it. He traveled a lot. He worked odd jobs up and down the East Coast. Farm work in Georgia. Working on the railroad in Virginia. He worked on a fishing boat out of South Carolina and for a trucking company out of Delaware. Eventually, he made it up to New York City where he got a job at New York City's Parks Department. At first, he was working around Manhattan, cleaning up playgrounds and doing light maintenance work. Eventually, he transferred to Brooklyn and started working at Floyd Bennett Field, and this, this is where his love for national parks started. Floyd Bennett Field was New York City's first municipal airport, and later it became a World War II naval air station. Today, this area includes over 1,300 acres of grassland, salt marshes, tidal mudflaps, a marina, and a former airfield, including a control tower and a terminal that serves as the visitor center. A place like this, slap in the middle of a city, is insane. Once inside, you truly feel like you stepped into another world. Once off the main avenue, you are instantly transported from busy city to tranquil nature. People are camping, shooting archery, gardening, and the old airfield is a sight to behold. Jared said to himself that if this place is here, what do the bigger parks have to offer? After two years, he packed up and headed out west. Utah was his first stop. Unfortunately, they weren't looking for park rangers. He probably should have checked that out before quitting his job and moving across the country, but hindsight. He left an application with them and told them that if something comes up, keep him in mind. Luckily enough, though, there was a job posting on the bulletin board at the ranger station. Grant & Sons was coming into town and looking for locals for security jobs. Temporary. 
but could lead to becoming a full-time employee, and that would mean traveling and seeing all the other parks of the United States. This was a no-brainer. The carnival would be in town next week. Jared called the number and scheduled an interview. He got one almost immediately. Tomorrow morning, he was meeting Mr. Stevenson from Grant & Sons. Good morning, Mr. Cole. It's wonderful to meet you. Good morning, Mr. Stevenson. It's nice to meet you as well. Greetings are had while the two men shake hands and sit across from each other in the trailer that Grant & Sons has set up in town as a temporary base of operation. You're interviewing for the security job, is that correct? Yes, sir. That's right. Great. And do you have any previous experience? Well, no, not really. My dad was a detective. Super! This thin man sitting across from Jared had a smile on his face ever since he met him in the parking lot outside the trailer. Sitting there reading the application Jared filled out when he arrived this morning, his smile only faltered once during the questioning. I see here you work for the Parks Department. Any dealings with the Deep Woods Division, Mr. Cole? Deep Woods? No, I've never even heard of it. I was in the city, mostly playgrounds and things like that out there. Why, would that have looked better on the application? I could say yes and write it down, Jared replied with a light-hearted smile. This was a tactic that Jared used to land jobs while traveling. If you could show people that you're just a normal guy, they tend to hire you. No better way than attempting to share a laugh. Of course, this can backfire, but it seldom does. And it didn't today. Mr. Stevenson's face lit back up. Perfect! You're hired! I'll run in the back and grab you a uniform, and we'll be pulling into town on Sunday. Town preparation for the arrival of the carnival was pretty straightforward. Local police blocked off areas, some streets were closed, and a few highway exits were blocked while the caravan rolled in. The setup was surprisingly fast and problem-free. Jared stayed on site and worked overnights during the setup phase to keep an eye on stuff. By Thursday, the carnival was up and running. Jared couldn't get over how advanced this place was. All the tickets to this place were linked to either a small credit card looking item, or they sold a beaded bracelet as an upcharge to link your tickets and payment method to. This place also had a photo pass that documented your visit. If purchased in advance, and in combo with the bracelet, your photos were taken and automatically uploaded to your account. They also used to track guests, because you'd have to scan in every ride and attraction, and they have GPS capabilities, which made Jared's job a breeze. The security booth was like a control center. He could access all visitors' accounts and see where they are, what they were doing, what they did, and what all their photos looked like. He was the eye in the sky. The other security guys weren't as impressed. They were mostly full-time guys who traveled with the carnival and told him that the obsession of checking everything wears off in a few days. The first couple of days were great. Jared had his first encounter of something weird at the close of day four. While doing a perimeter check, he saw movement just beyond the fence that surrounded the carnival. At first, he thought maybe it was an animal. They were at the mouth of a national park. A mountain lion or coyote lurking around in the dark looking for food wasn't out of the realm of possibility. This place took all the precautions, though. The fences were sturdy, and all the dumpsters were locked. Part of his daily duties was checking the fences and dumpsters. The last thing they wanted was a bear coming down for a snack out of the garbage and walking off with a kid. The idea of this thing being an animal was gone after it stood up on its hind legs. Jared reached for his flashlight and pointed it at the creature. The light illuminated it and it shied away and began to run back behind the trees, so he only really caught a quick glimpse. It was tall and scaly. Its face was flat, so it being an animal was out. There was no snout. 
It quickly lowered itself to all fours and its knees and elbows bowed out at the side and it quickly scurried into the shadows. Jared retreated quickly into the security booth to see if any of the cameras picked this up, but they didn't see anything. The other security guards didn't really seem too concerned either. Jared should have taken that as a sign and got the hell out of Dodge. My resignation papers would have been in the mail. Sent from a location far, far away with no return address. Can't be too careful. He was working at the park entrance one morning when he noticed a woman who looked a little distraught talking to one of the greeters. He walked over and asked her if everything was okay. She began to tell him that his sister and her family visited the park two days ago and she hasn't been seen since. Before he can get into it with the woman, his supervisor walked over and said that missing persons were a job for the police and there was nothing they could do about it before dismissing the woman and walking away. Jared joined him, but something didn't sit right with him. He heard his dad's voice in his head and ran out past the gate to catch up with her and get some information. Maybe he could look back on some camera footage and see if anything looked suspicious. The woman gave them a photo of the family, the husband and wife, and their two kids, as well as a license plate and description of their car, a maroon Chevy minivan. Jared took her phone number and told her that if he saw anything, he'll give her a call, but she really should go talk to the police. She explained to him that the police had told her not enough time had gone by to file a missing persons report, but she was going to be following up with them again today. She thanked the young man, and Jared went on with his day. That night at closing, Jared stayed back in the security booth. They called it a booth, but in the reality, it was a small RV that they turned into their security headquarters. It had a long desk along one wall that had all screens on it, and a computer terminal that housed all the footage from the security cameras, ride cameras, and guest data. He sat back and brought up the footage of the gate from the day the woman said her sister's family visited and began to scan the video. And lo and behold, at 9.28 that morning, the family scanned into the park. The mom had on a long green sundress. The dad was wearing tan cargo shorts with a striped red and white shirt, ironically looking like Waldo of Where's Waldo fame. The son had on a black polo shirt with tan shorts, and the daughter was in a dress the same color as her mom's. He watched them enter the park and step into the one of the many gift booths they had set up at the park entrance. The family purchased the photo package and bought and registered bracelets for each of them. This should make his life a little easier, Jared thought to himself. He slid the chair down to the other end of the desk, where the computer with the guest data was. He searched for all bracelets registered at the time that was stamped on the video. He found what he was looking for and opened the first photo taken to confirm he had the right family. And there they were, posing in front of the Grant and Son sign with Ricky Rooster, the carnival's mascot, who was really a little guy they called Butch who had chronic halitosis and late-stage alcoholism. He tracked them to the Himalaya and then to the shooting gallery. Mom and her daughter went on the merry-go-round while Dad and his son went on the tilt-a-whirl. They spent some time in the arcade and walked out with two stuffed bunnies and a basketball. And then they made their way to It's a Small Country. Do you see why Disney sued? He watched them scan in and load up into the last row of the little boat, but once the boat got back, they were gone. The row was empty. Well, that was odd. He rewound the video and began to watch again, to take notice of the other people in the boat as well. Maybe he made a mistake. Nope, no mistake. That was their boat all right, but they weren't on it. He made up his mind that the next day he would bring it up to his supervisor and take it from there. Freaked entirely out, he quickly walked to his car and went home for the night. The next day he went in a little earlier than normal to walk around the parking lot and search for the car. And wouldn't you know it, there it was, sitting in the back of the parking lot. Maroon Chevy minivan with the matching license plate. Once he made his way over to the security booth to clock in, he told his supervisor about what he found and the location of the minivan, 
parked back there for days? This isn't an airport. I'll call and have him towed. Good catch, Jared. Jared was stunned. Wait, I tell you that a family vanished off of one of our rides and all you can think about is that they're parking for free? Missing people is for the police. Maybe they got off mid-ride. I would. I hate that damn song. Don't worry about it too much. We'll be out of here and on to the next place in a week and a half. If you don't ruffle too many feathers, you can come with us. You're a good guy, Jared. You fit in with the full-timers. Now, while it would be nice to have a permanent gig and a chance to travel, Jared just couldn't let this go. He thought maybe the guy was right. Maybe they did get off. He didn't check the cameras after he saw them gone. They could have walked out an emergency exit. And maybe their car wouldn't start and they took a cab home. He decided he would check the cameras again. He scanned the footage for the rest of the day, but he didn't see them anywhere. Then he got an idea. Jared went over to the computer that handled the pictures for the photo pass and entered the ID that was attached to the bracelets. As the database loaded up, he watched the video of the family getting on the boat and the boat returning, over and over. The loading screen was up for a long time, which was a little strange. And when Jared saw why, his jaw dropped. Next to the account number, read 643 photos. And then the number changed to 644. 645. How is this possible? He watched their entire day. They didn't have that much time to take that many pictures. Jared opened the folder and clicked on the icon at the end. It opened up to the part of, it's a small country ride, but they weren't in the photo. The boat was full of guests riding the ride, but they weren't the guests he was looking for. He opened up the next one, and more of the same. He went back to the beginning and loaded up the first picture, and there they were, posing next to Ricky Rooster. Next one was the family hitting targets at the shooting gallery. A posed photo in front of it's a small country ride. And then the picture of the ride, but a different family, and the same in every picture after. Maybe they dropped their bracelet there. After park closed today, he would accompany the ride workers on their nightly walkthrough and look around. A bracelet could have fallen somewhere and the camera could still be registering it. He wanted to check the GPS system, but that was above his pay grade, and the supervisor already told him to drop this once. After the walk with the ride workers, he didn't find what he was looking for. They found a camera and a few hats, but no bracelets. He decided to bring some of his findings to the local police on his way home to see if maybe they had any info. The police weren't really prepared to share any information they had, as he wasn't family. But they also said that they had their hands tied because it took place on federal land and that the park rangers are who he should contact. Jared put it on the list. That would be his next stop. Pulling up to the ranger station a few days later was bittersweet for Jared. He really wanted to be a ranger. But he was doing some detective work, albeit unofficial detective work, but detective work nonetheless. And that made him feel pretty close to his dad. Walking into the almost empty station after hours, there was only one ranger sitting at her desk. He walked over to her and explained the situation. Missing persons is a police matter, is what she told him. Sighing with frustration, Jared explained that he already went to the police, and they told him it was your problem. He was getting a little annoyed now. Look, I'm just a security guard, but people are missing and nobody seems to care. They vanished into thin air and no one thinks that's odd? People going missing, you have ghillie monsters crawling around the woods, and God knows what else is going on over there, and no one wants to figure it out with me. You know what, thanks for your help, but I'm sorry I wasted both of our time. He turned around to leave when she stood up and rushed over to him. Speaking in a low voice, she said, Between me and you, I never gave you this. And she hands him a small slip of paper. You're gonna need the Deep Woods Division. 
They handle things like this. With that, she returned to her desk as another ranger made his way out from a back room. Thank you, Jared said to the woman. She looked up from her desk and said with a smile, For what? Can I help you, sir? Jared, confused. No. No, that's okay. Thank you. This just gets weirder and weirder. He sat down in his car and opened the small paper. Written on it was a 212 area code phone number. That's New York. He pulled out his phone and dialed. Ringing. Ming's Palace, what can I get you? What the F? No wonder she was smiling. She was playing a joke. Maybe I dialed the wrong number, he thought. He hit end and checked the number, but no, it was correct. He called back. Ming's Palace. Hey, I uh, got your number from a ranger out here in Utah. I'm looking for the Deep Woods Division. This is Ming's Palace. What can I get you? Frustrated at all the runaround he's been getting, he boiled over. What can you get me? You can get me some help. A family's missing, and God knows what else is going on here at Grant and Sons. I just need some goddamn help. Listen, this is a restaurant, pal. Can I get your order? Jared just hung up and threw his phone onto his passenger seat. A moment later, it began to ring. A different 212 phone number calling. Jared picks it up. Hello? A voice from the other end just says, The division will contact you. What the shit is going on? The next morning, Jared gets to work and heads over to the computer room to check the photo pass system again. He punches in their number and sees the photos on file. Over 900 now. The carnival is leaving town tomorrow and Jared still hasn't made any progress. He decides that before they leave, he'll print as many photos from the photo pass as he could. Lay them out in front of him. That's what his dad would do. He hears his dad's voice in his head when they were playing the scenario game. Lay all the pieces out, Jar. See everything. Your answer is there. That evening when he gets home, he takes all the pictures that he printed and tapes them up on the wall in his studio apartment. He has the photo of the family with Ricky Rooster in the center and all the boat photos up around it. Look at it, Jared. Really look. The answer is here. He scans his eyes over every photo, taking in every last pixel, every detail. He would commit the people in these boats' eye color to memory, what they were wearing, the color of their clothing, everything. That's when he saw it. The red and white striped shirt. The green dresses. The black polo. Not in any of the boats. In the background. On the dolls. The dolls' faces. The smiles were joyful, but their eyes. Their eyes were panicked fear. In fact, all the dolls looked exactly like this. And sitting right there, on their little wrists, beaded bracelets. He frantically picked up his phone and dialed the 212 number that called him back. It went straight to voicemail. The dolls, he screamed into the phone. The missing people are the dolls. Jared hung up the phone and scooped up his keys off his desk and rushed to his car. The 30-minute drive was going to be agony, but when he got to the site of the carnival, it was gone. Taillight to the last truck visible down the road, heading to the next national park. Suspiciously fast breakdown, don't you think, Jared? A voice from behind him spoke. Jared turned around and standing about 10 yards behind him was three shapes. The man talking was the oldest, tall and stocky with a gray beard and a baseball cap. 
Next to him stood the short woman with gleaming green eyes and red hair under a park ranger's campaign hat. On the other side of the man was a younger man, whose face looked similar to the woman's, with the same eyes and red hair. Um, yeah, I'd say. Are you guys with the Parks Department? You could say that. We looked over your application. A low growl began to emanate off to the side of Jared, just beyond the tree line, past the edge of the parking lot. That's some real nice work you did here. Real nice work. Let me ask you something. You ever been to Yosemite? That's their next stop. From behind the trees, that flat-faced creature peeked out. Its silver eyes catching the moonlight. Its face full of teeth. Eyes moving over the people standing. Its long bent limbs protruding out to its side. It begins to charge with jerky wild steps. Boom. The thunder crash of a gun sounds and the creature's head vanishes in a mist of blood and brains and teeth. It spins over onto its back and its legs curl up like a dying spider as Jared recoils from the blast of the hand cannon. After some discussion, Jared, we've come to a conclusion. The little red-headed woman was holding the gun in the direction of the beast and scanning the rest of the woods with the barrel before returning it to her hip. The men didn't even seem to react. We're from the division. Welcome aboard. Again, I'm Christopher Feinstein, and this is Haunted American History. Music by Kevin McLeod. I'd like to give a shout out to our newest Patreons, Mallory and Carolyn. Thank you guys so much for joining. It's you guys who make this show possible. Later, folks. mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.